In the late 1970s, the great British playwright Howard Brenton published a series of pieces entitled Plays for the Poor Theatre. And the idea behind these pieces was very simple, that wherever there are performers and an audience, in whatever kind of a space, however kind of rustic, that is all is needed to make theatre, to make performance. You don't need glittering sets, you don't need amazing lighting, costume design, or any of the other trappings that come conventionally with grand performance. And it was a curiously similar idea, although born out of very different circumstances, which led to the creation of Igor Stravinsky and Seyf Hamu's The Soldier's Tale. The year in question was 1918, four years of war which had devastated the arts in Europe. Money was exceedingly scarce. And so C.F. Ramu, Swiss novelist, and his friend, the Swiss conductor Ernest Ansomay, were at pains to explain and to excite Stravinsky with the idea of creating a kind of itinerant theatre, a theatre that could, because it was small and like a kind of a little guerrilla force, could pop up in any space, anywhere throughout Switzerland or indeed throughout Europe. It didn't need anything else. It didn't need large space for a big orchestra. It didn't need perfect acoustics. It certainly didn't need light, costume design, any of those things. But it was because of the straitened circumstances of life following the First World War that this idea came about. Now, for a long time, Stravinsky had been very interested in uh, a collection of Russian folk fables assembled by a man called Afanasyev. There were two stories in particular that intrigued him, one about a soldier who tricks the devil into eating lead shot, thinking it's caviar after the soldiers got him drunk on vodka. The other story is of a deserter being robbed of his violin by the devil. And it's particularly that second story which excited Hamu. Obviously, he saw it as what it is, a universal story, the Faustian pact, the whole idea of somebody selling their soul to the devil in return for worldly riches, which they think are going to make them, but in fact end up breaking them. So that was the essence, the story, the idea of what led to the soldier's tale. We have what are essentially the treble and bass instruments of each orchestral family. So you have a violin and a double bass, a clarinet and a bassoon, a cornet rather than a trumpet, and a trombone, and finally the percussion. So what you get is a very strange kind of caustic blend of sound of the high instrument of a family and the very low instrument of that family. And Stravinsky revels in that sound world. I should tell you at this point that the violin is significant because it symbolizes in musical terms the soul of the soldier who is the central character in the drama. The percussion, particularly as the piece winds on, represents the devil. And of course, like all variations on the Faust story, it's the devil ultimately who wins. It also involved a narrator, and if there was money for it, some actors and perhaps a dancer or two. For our straightened circumstances today, we have only a narrator in the very able shape and body of Sam West. So before delving into this, there's one other thing I wanted to share with you, the fact that musicologists, bizarrely, like to try and divide a composer's life into three periods. I don't know why, but the number three is magical for historians and musicologists. But curiously, in the case of Stravinsky, it actually works. You get this first great period, his great Russian period, his homeland, after all, when he's creating music which is absolutely of the kind of earth elemental power and rhythmic vitality of that great country. Then there's a middle period, which is neoclassical, when he became obsessed with the idea of taking new music from the past, great jewels of music from, say, the 18th century, and sort of reinventing them through his own 20th century sensibility. A final period, serial period, when he got extremely avant-garde in his style and was trying to explore a whole load of the 
then current techniques in composition, which have been started off by Schoenberg and a bunch of his contemporaries. However, The Soldier's Tale, in 1918, falls very firmly at the end of this first period, the great Russian period, this obsession Stravinsky had, particularly with Russian folk rhythm. And it's that, in combination with one other key element, which is jazz. Shortly before The Soldier's Tale was written, Ernest Ansame, the conductor I mentioned earlier, had been in the USA, and he came back from America with a whole bunch of jazz written down on paper. Now, Stravinsky never actually heard any of this music played, so he immediately he alighted with enormous alacrity on the look, the shape, the perceived feel of this music without having any idea that in reality, as any of you who know jazz will understand, what's written on the page bears only a little relationship to what is actually performed. There is an elasticity about the way jazz is played. If you like, it's swing. Swing is the element which you can't write on a page. It just exists sort of in the ether. Stravinsky didn't know about that. In any case, it seems, wasn't particularly interested. He wanted to explore it purely, in a way, academically, as a result of what he saw on the page. And we find elements of that and this primeval Russian folk rhythm throughout this piece. So without further ado, let's dive in to the first music that we hear, which is called The Soldier's March. And let me play you a tiny melodic fragment, which the cornet and the trombone have, which form the basis not just for this movement, but essentially for the whole piece. Here it is in its essentially pure form. Simple enough. Now listen to it in its next incarnation. Now, that same idea then gets taken forward. It becomes like kind of music of the circus. That's the best way that I can think of describing it. Just listen to this. And it's important that you concentrate on the rhythm of it. It starts off with six quavers in the bar. The next bar has three quavers. The next bar has three quavers also. It's important to remember that because of what I'm going to show you next. I'm going to play that for you one more time. And I'm going to actually count out the quavers this time to make it absolutely explicit what I'm talking about. Two, three. One and two and three and one, two, three. One, two, three. Now, when that comes again, Stravinsky's sort of ripped the rug from under its feet. He's moved the bars. So now, that exact little motif exists in different places. You get different stresses, making it kind of already distorted and kind of weird. So, one, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three, four. One, two, three. Now, carrying on directly from there, not only is he now moving the bar lines around to give different stresses, but he's also reducing this little theme. He's, he's putting it through a process of diminution, which, again, distorts its essential character. how he's just compressing it in the most extraordinary way and the whole piece is full of this quality. Let's play it from the top again now and this time we'll hear what the narrator has to say over the top because in a whole load of places during The Soldier's Tale you get the narrator not just speaking outside the music but actually reciting within it in a rhythmic fashion from the top. <laughs> Down a hot and dusty road Tramps a soldier with his load Take 
to spend Will his journey never end See just how acidic and caustic this style of music is, but already you get a sense of a kind of vitality, a kind of earth elemental spirit to the rhythm, even though he keeps moving the, the bars, therefore moving the, the stress on the pulse, and also a sense of jazz, but absolutely without swing. So we'll now give you a complete performance of The Soldier's March. Down a hot and dusty road Tramps a soldier with his load Ten days leave he has to spend Will his journey never end Sam, can you bring us up to date then, following this, going into the Putier au bord de Ruisseau, airs by a stream, where we are in terms of the soldier. He hasn't met the devil at this point, of course. He's just discovered, or rediscovered, an old violin, an old friend of his. Yes, he's coming home for ten days' leave from a war that is never described, and he stops by the bank of a stream and looks for his violin, takes it out, along with some other stuff that he's got in his pack, and begins to play. Now, Stravinsky has a lot of fun setting this up, particularly a thing called a bass ostinato. Ostinato, an Italian word meaning obstinate. So literally, it's one figure that just goes round and round and round and round. Diane Clark, our bassist, will just show us some of that. And she carries on doing that pretty much till she's blue in the face. Over the top of that, you hear the soldier starting to try his violin. And whilst that ostinato I just showed you goes round and round, exactly like that, again, the bar lengths change over the top of it. So where it may be one and two and one and two, and it can also be one, two, three, one, two, three, without that ostinato changing at all. I'll show you what I mean. First change... Here comes another change. Etc., etc. And then he throws some other very strange things into the mix, like, for instance, 
We have at figure 10 here, suddenly out of nowhere, a batch of seven quavers, which completely go at odds with what we've heard up until this point. the clarinet you heard there is essentially the first appearance of the devil so at the moment he's not symbolized by the percussion he's actually symbolized by the clarinet and the bassoon and the strange little kind of interjections and the strange sort of almost alchemical relationship they have with each other You get the idea. And again, constantly just moving the bar lines around, introducing very strange, unusual, and totally unexpected rhythms, which have the essential quality of making you sit up and listen more. As soon as you're thinking you're just getting into a groove, he completely subverts your expectations. Just before we perform Little Airs by a Stream, listen out for the very, very final bar. You hear this extraordinary moment in the violin where Cleo Gould, our violinist, both plucks and bows simultaneously. It's the sound of a violinist, the soldier, being interrupted. Ooh, pregnant pause. Here goes a performance. Now, the music that follows that in The Soldier's Tale as a whole, we're not really going to perform, but I thought we'd just delve into it. It's called Pastoral. And uh, Sam, at this point, the soldier has genuinely been taken into the devil's world, hasn't he? He's gone home with him, been yes. fed and... Yeah, the devil appears carrying a butterfly net, which is how you know he's a devil. And then uh, <laughs> the, the soldier swaps his fiddle for a book, which he can't read, but the devil says it doesn't matter, because this is more than a book, it's wealth untold. So they swap it. The devil can't play the violin. The, the soldier promises to go home with him for three days to teach him how to play the violin. And he's given a great time for three days. And then he goes home again. And nobody recognizes him. He sees his friends who look at him like he's a ghost. He sees his fiancée who's married with two children. And he realizes that he hasn't been away for three days. He's been away for three years. He sits and wonders aloud what he's going to do now. And out of that comes this pastoral music, which is an extraordinary dialogue, if you like, between the clarinet and the bassoon. Very Rite of Spring-like.
Very, very melancholic music. Again, very sinewy, very thin, very lacking in middle, because again, we've got a high treble instrument in the, in the shape of the clarinet and a lower, although albeit in a sing-songy register instrument, the bassoon. So, things move forward, and uh, before we know where we are, we're into part two, by which time the soldier has become immensely wealthy. The book the devil gave him has given him riches beyond belief. That's right. The devil wasn't lying. He turns out, it turns out to be able to predict the future, so he makes a lot of money on stocks and shares um, and becomes immensely rich and suddenly realizes that that's useless and that all he really wants to be able to do is walk in his garden and drink a glass of wine at the weekend and... Uh, and he's lost that, and um, he's absolutely as rich as Croesus, but dead among the living, is the phrase he uses. And then the devil appears as, in the guise of an old woman and uh, tries to give him his violin back, and he can't play it anymore. So he throws the violin away, and in frustration tears the book into a thousand pieces. The march comes back again at the top of part two, but the soldier's trudging on and on, but without any load to bear anymore. He has nothing left. He's got nothing left. But then, of course, his luck changes, because he meets a guy in a pub who tells him that actually the king... The, the king has the a daughter who's ill in bed. Traditional sort of king. Um, <laughs> he meets an old soldier in a bar uh, who says, I think you should go and try and cure her. And uh, the soldier thinks, well, I've got nothing to lose. So he does. And he goes to the palace, and he gives a ring, and the sentries say, where are you going? And he says, I'm going to see the king. And what you get as a result of that is a fantastic piece called The Royal March. Now, first of all, let's listen to what the trombone carries. The trombone carries the bulk of the melody in this number. It's interesting because he takes five quavers to wind up to the tune. It's regal but razzy. It goes like this. <laughs> Now, the accompaniment to that is choppy little quavers, which sound like they're on the beats. Let's just play the accompaniment, but without the trombone one time. Now, that all sounds like it's on the beat. They're regular. They've all got a quaver rest in between them. But if you put them with the trombone, you realize that after literally just five quavers, once he's wound himself up to the uh, beginning of the tune proper, already the accompaniment is off the beat. Then we get the cornet playing a great little riff, and you can hear how it relates to the big theme of the first march that we looked at earlier. Fantastic round cornet sound there. And again, you get a very, very kind of strange accompaniment to it, particularly from the double bass, Diane Clark, the double bass, walking, as it were, across the bars. So what is in one place in the bar, two bars later, has moved to somewhere else. It's most disconcerting. right here, one brief moment where Stravinsky indulges in what you might call jazz harmony. Very, very unusual for Stravinsky to do it in this piece, and it's one of the only places, if not the only place, where you get a sense of some smoke 
and some jazz. Let me show you it. The clarinet, bassoon, and trombone have it. Put that in the context of everything else. And so on. A little bit later on, you get that same cornet theme that we've had. But again, he's now playing with it. He's distorting it. He's disintegrating it. He's putting it across in a whole number of different ways. Second half of ten, please. So, one, two. So anyone thought that minimalism was a, a movement in music that only began in the 1960s should realize that actually Stravinsky started it, and you heard it first here back in 1918. Now, moving on to figure 14, please. You get some great curtain-raising music here. The curtain goes up in the stage direction at this point in the music, and we see revealed in front of us the devil dressed as a virtuoso violinist. <laughs> So the devil is having a delightful time. Again, we haven't got time to play the, the little concert, the petit concert, so-called, but it, it's uh, a wonderful piece to delve into very briefly in terms of the soldier's tale as a whole. Basically what's happened is that he's decided the only way to beat the devil is to get him drunk. Play him at cards, get him drunk, and then get the violin back again. And once he's done that, and the devil is lying unconscious on the floor, he's able to play this extraordinarily exuberant piece of music. So you get a sense of this hypnotic music, like an ostinato, again, like what we had with the bass earlier, of the same figures repeating themselves round and round. So Sam, he's got into the princess's bedroom now, the sick princess who's lying ill in bed. Is he the one who's going to be able to cure her? That's the question. Well, we don't really know until he starts to play. She lies there completely still. And then, after he starts to play the first song... She rises from her bed and begins to dance. And it's impossible to imagine her doing anything other than dance. The dances of which there are three, the first of which is the most sultry and almost disgustingly sexy tango. Tango, a dance rhythm coming from Latin America, although originally from Africa, which had its origins in the habanera. Most people here, I'm sure, know the habanera from Carmen. The idea being that you get an accent off the second beat. Ya, boya, bop, bom. And so in tango, that becomes even more explicitly so. It sounds like this. So there it is, that little accent off the, off the second beat, essentially. Now, of course, it's Stravinsky. So once again, he'll now move it further across the bar. So it's no longer da, da, but it's coming later, that little accent, like in bar four. And... 
And of course, the percussion provides the most deliciously slinky accompaniment to this violin tango. Let's try a little bit of it together. Now, Sam says, before long, the princess can't stop herself from rising out of bed and starting to dance. And this is where she begins to dance. But now, the tango has a rogue element. He adds in bars with five semiquavers, which disrupt the flow. Let me take you on to the waltz, which is the second of the three dances. The tango ratchets itself up to a conclusion and emerges phoenix-like as a waltz. It's a pretty coarse sort of a waltz, but in the context, actually about as sensual as Stravinsky gets. See how that unfolds. But again, Stravinsky can't help disrupting the flow. You get a gruff interruption from the bassoon and the double bass, which begs the question, does the princess have a case of bad wind? Play from bar 15. 15. There's another one of those coming up, but I'll save that up for the performance. The final dance of the three is the ragtime, so-called. Now, like the tango, well, like the tango form, it's another modern dance, well, at least in 1918 it was, specifically from the jazz world. As I said, Anselme Stravinsky's friend had come back from the States with all this jazz written down, and a lot of it were piano rags, which then were very, very fashionable indeed, particularly in the guise of Scott Joplin. But what Stravinsky does here is takes the idea of ragtime and makes it, well, the jerkiest, perkiest ragtime I think you've ever heard. A million miles from one that Scott Joplin might have written.
on in, the writing gets more and more fiendish, particularly for the violin. And rhythmically, he bowls along four quavers to the bar, and then suddenly there'll be five semiquavers or seven semiquavers. We'll play it now and see if you can work out where the bar lines fall, because it's fiendishly difficult to hear them, let alone play them. <laughs> You can see just how brilliantly Stravinsky creates contrast from the mind-boggling complexity of that to moments of great simplicity. Like, I suppose, all the best dance music today, that it's music that builds you up and builds you up and builds you up and then gives you what you might call a middle eight in which to kind of regroup, get your breath, before the next lot starts to pump you up and up again. No different in Stravinsky. So, onto the climax of the soldier's tale now, where music and narration become ever closer linked. The soldier's now using his bow and ultimately his violin to threaten, cajole, and terrify the devil who is in contortions. Devil's dance. <laughs> probably heard there again our circus theme rearing its glorious head. Now check out this queasy music, mainly in seven, but with bouts of six and five. He just can't leave it alone. So, let's hear the three dances. Then the devil falls exhausted and the soldier and the princess drag him into the wings. And then, Sam, the princess and the soldier fall into each other's arms. It seems as everything is going to be bliss and happiness forevermore. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, but they don't count on the devil, who sticks his head around the door and has a little song. <laughs> the devil's couplets. Now, Sam, this is a big challenge uh, for anyone narrating the soldier's tale. The, uh, the business of having to speak in rhythmic recitation, in music which is often rhythmically very demanding. Yes, I suppose you have to decide whether your job is to pull the rhythm around like uh, jazz or whether to be very specific. I mean, with a dotted rhythm like, will his journey never end? I might end up saying, will his journey never end? Because it sounds a little bit more human. But with this, where there's no dotted rhythm, I have to be as straight on the beat as I can. Let's try a bit of it. Devil's couplets. All right, I shall have to wait, but this realm of yours is not so great. If once its frontiers should be passed, then you'll be in my power at last. So do not push your luck too far, or then. Tempt you to carry on, but we mustn't, because that will just spoil the excitement. Um, Sam, just going into the final phrase of this, Stravinsky adds a beat, doesn't he? I mean, you expect, as for her, Prince, he can't pretend he doesn't know my patience now is at an end. He who laughs the last. That's what you'd expect to hear. That's where you go wrong normally. <laughs> but you won't, because he adds in an extra beat to reinforce the moral, I suppose, doesn't yeah. he? Let's just do it from As For Her Prince, bar 24. As for her, Prince, he can't pretend he doesn't know my patience now is at an end. He who laughs the last, he laughs most, as I shall do to watch him roast. Graphic stuff, ladies and gentlemen. Then we go into what Stravinsky titles Grand Chorale. Now, chorales were something that were invented in the 15th, 16th century. The idea of them being that everyone in a congregation, in a church ceremony, could join in. So, therefore, it's a sense of every man here, and appropriate, therefore, for what is actually a little lesson in morality. Fantastic, rich, but not too stodgy. Well, certainly rich for Stravinsky. Big block chords. <laughs> straight into the first bit of morality, I suppose. The idea being that you can't expect to have more than, you, than is your natural lot in life. The point at which you hope to have more than you already have is where you end up in trouble. And of course, that's what the soldier seeks to do with the help of the princess. She wants him to return to his own land. But of course, the devil's made it very specific, hasn't he, Sam, that if the soldier crosses the frontier to go back to his own land, he will lose all his power and he will be in the devil's power Forever. That's right. If he steps across the frontier for one moment, he is in the devil's power forever. That's what the devil says in his song. Only one line, but you have to hear it. And what happens is that the, the soldier's new wife says, why don't we go and visit your mother? And he says, no, I can't. And she says, oh, go on, go on. So they do. And he steps across the frontier. And the devil has won. Just have a listen to this. This is the beginning of the final triumphal march of the devil. You get that circus theme in all its glory, hammered out between the eyes. <laughs>
you can hear that more and more the percussion is playing a dominant role. And bit by bit, the violin weakens and weakens the soldier's soul as he loses it once and for all to the devil. I'll just play you the death throes of it now, figure 14. The battle for the soldier's soul, well and truly done now. The devil, percussion, is triumphant, and the soldier, the violin, is lost forever, as you can hear. curtain falls slowly as the devil in a magnificent scarlet suit leads the soldier broken away beyond the horizon. Before we play those last four pieces, are there any questions? There's quite a bit of narrating in time to the music. Do you have to be trained in music to do this? It depends what the piece is, but for this piece it's very useful. There are actually three parts in this piece, the narrator, the soldier and the devil. And the soldier uh, never speaks in time to the music. So you could play the soldier if you didn't read music. But if you're playing the narrator or the devil, it really helps. I'm doing all three, so... Yeah. I mean, I play the cello and the piano, so... That's just something I learned at school. Why didn't Stravinsky use singers to tell the story, like an opera? That's a very good question, actually. He could have done. I think, again, it just boiled down to lack of money. Singers were more expensive than jobbing actors, and singers would have meant training, coaching, having to hire pianists to uh, rehearse them in the, in the material, whereas a bunch of actors could just come in, get some very basic instructions in rhythm, and then everyone would close their eyes and hope for the best. So I think it was purely and simply because they didn't have the money. When in doubt, call in an actor, they're cheaper, you know. <laughs> Is there any reason for um, Stravinsky to... Um Make the bars all funny, or does he just do it for fun? I, <laughs> make the bars all funny is the best description I've ever heard of what Stravinsky does in music. Did he do it for fun? Yes, I think he had huge pleasure out of doing it, because, as you've heard again and again in this music, you set up a style, a pulse, you know, a groove, as it were, like you expect in any form of music, and then he's constantly just ripping the carpet from under your feet. So where you're thinking it's next going to fall, it suddenly doesn't. He's shortened the bar by half a beat or a quarter of a beat. Or he's added something into it to make it longer. All the time, just challenging your expectations and making the music more difficult to listen to in one sense, but hopefully, in his ultimate goal, making you listen more intensively to what he's written. Ah, hi. What's the difference between a trumpet and a cornet, which we're hearing today? Okay, well, this is definitely a question for Andy Crowley. Andy, over to you. Uh, hang on one minute, just get you a microphone. Basically, this is shorter, but it has the same length of tubing, but the tubing is a different shape. It's conical, so that means that the tubing, from where it starts with the mouthpiece, gradually gets wider. That um, is supposed to produce a more uh, sonorous sound. And also, um, I think Stravinsky and, and composers around that time also use the instrument in a more sort of agile way as well. It's surprising, though, in a way, isn't it? Because, I mean, I've, I was, I've always thought of the cornet as being more like the bugle, in other words, more coarse, more like a kind of army instrument than the trumpet, which I always thought was, was capable of greater flexibility. But what you're saying, actually... No, it's the opposite. It's the, the opposite the way around. The trumpet is more strident, definitely. Ah. Got time for one more, I think. 
Um, how long do you think it took Stravinsky to compose this music? It happened in the space of, a, of only a few months. Because there was no money, there was very little opportunity to spend ages creating a piece of music. It had to be done in a short space of time because he had other commissions, other pieces of music that he was also trying to write. The poor man had to earn a living. So he knocked this up, put it together with Ramu, who wrote the words, in the space of, I don't know, two, three months. Very quick. Thank you very much indeed for your questions. We'll now perform the last four items from Stravinsky's The Soldier's Tale. We have The Devil's Dance, then The Devil's Song, then that grand chorale where the morality lessons are fed to us by the narrator, and finally, The Devil's Triumphant March.